Alright, good morning everybody. This is Mike. Welcome back to Driving Theology. It's a beautiful Wednesday. Here in Japan. Sorry, just going through some road construction in my neighborhood. Barely squeaked by. Uh, yeah, it's uh, March. We are in the second week of March. It's March 8th today. And it's been a good week. Yeah, except for Sunday. Sunday was horrible. Um, I don't know, one of those days. <clears throat> Monday and Tuesday, I've gotten stuff done like I haven't gotten done in the last, I don't know, three months. And uh, kind of on a get stuff done kind of week. Right, getting up a little earlier, cleaning things, getting things prepared, organizing a little better. I've got a lot, got a lot busier schedule this week too because my school, I, if you don't know, I own and teach in a, a language school. Uh, we're in the recruiting season, so the school year starts from April, and so this is March. So we're trying to get new students right now and saying goodbye to old students that have left and things like this. So anyway, um, this is a recruiting season, so we have lots of uh, uh, trial lessons. So we set up lessons for pers prospective students and kind of give them a taste of what we do. And then they can decide whether or not they want to join uh, based on that trial lesson. Problem is, I haven't done these trial lessons in years, right? My, my other teachers have done it, but uh, the one uh, teacher that we have right now, um, who is full time, she just gave birth to twins. Congratulations, Bethany and Johnny. They just had their twins this week, and so uh, Johnny is teaching some of the classes, but I'm taking on all the all the uh, <clears throat> what you might call it lessons trial lessons but we're having lots of trial lessons at the same time we're having observation lessons and observation lessons are when parents come and they observe the class that their kids have been in all year long or whatever and so that's all been happening this week as well or last week and so observation lessons and trial lessons all in the same week observation lessons if you don't know for teachers are a bit um more stressful just because you know you're kind of on the spot uh, in front of the parents and uh, so yeah that's that's been going on um, also have been trying to get some loose ends tied up with my uh, college classes coming up I got my new schedule I think which is gonna be just what I wanted and then uh, the end of next week, toward the end of next week, I guess on Friday of next week, so I guess I have about 10 days, I'll be heading to the States for two weeks. Uh, first to visit my family in the St. Louis area, and then off to New York uh, to do a concert. And I will be performing for the second time uh, in Carnegie Hall in New York City. Uh, and it sounds much more fabulous than it is. Um, it turns out there are ways to sing in Carnegie Hall uh, that are not the traditional, you know, being invited like, you know, Ella Fitzgerald and Count Basie and 
all the other wonderful people who have performed at Carnegie Hall, you can actually take part in a chorus festival and pay money and you can do it. <laughs> so this is my second time to do that. It's, it's great being able to perform on one of the world's most prestigious uh, stages and it's a neat experience uh, because I've sorry this thing's way too loud I don't think I can't much it's way too expensive this this because of COVID and what's happened with ticket prices it's become way too expensive and if I had known it was going to be this expensive I wouldn't go because it's it's going to take away from you know, take away from my family. It's 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 a lot of money uh, to just sing in a in a certain building. But there are some other factors and other reasons why uh, we decided on this. And my wife and I made the decision ourselves. In fact, I decided that I shouldn't go, and my wife decided I should go. Of course, that was before we knew how much it was going to cost. But anyway. Uh, there it is. I'm going. And that's pretty much all settled. So I've got a lot of stuff to get ready and, and you know, got to start thinking about packing. And, uh, you know, packing in this day and age is not that easy. And uh, airlines allow uh, less weight than they used to. And anyway, all kinds of crazy stuff. So, yeah, I am in the process of getting ready to take off next week. And that also means that someone's going to have to cover my, my classes uh, for one of those weeks. One of those weeks we're on vacation. Anyway, uh, yeah. That's uh, that. That's what's happening. Uh, but like I said, it's a beautiful day. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a good week. My allergies have still been pretty bad, uh, but I'm coping a little bit better. Uh, this week's not as bad as last week was, I don't think. We had some days that were so bad, you could see the pollen in the air uh, in blowing around in waves outside. It's pretty crazy, actually. Um, it, it just makes you allergic looking at it. It's horrible. Road painters are out today. Uh, yeah, so theology, right? This is supposed to be driving theology. Man, uh, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. One of the one of the thoughts I had yesterday was um, there are a lot of discussions that people have on Facebook that I I come across, and so many of them are people who are who are wedged between sound theology and broken religion wedged between sound theology and broken religion in other words they 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 understand good theology but they keep trying to to make it fit in with broken religion that there's this constant cognitive dissonance right uh, between 
um, those two things, right? Uh, how how can you how can you maintain a sound theology while continuing to follow a broken religion? And how do you make those things to those two things fit? And as I was, you know, several of these posts keep coming up. Like I have people that I really respect who are still entrenched, I guess is the best word, who despite their good theology refuse to leave religion behind. Uh, and who continue to be paid ministers or paid preachers. And most of them, I think, have a really great theological understanding and yet are still wrapped up in this broken system. I know I'm saying the same thing over and over. This is what happens when you <laughs> when you do a podcast that's not on anything planned, uh, that's a stream of consciousness. Sometimes you have to kind of work the stuff out. So... I respect these men theologically, but I still have questions about them staying in a system uh, that is founded on poor theology, in my opinion. Um, and I, I hold out the right uh, to be wrong. <laughs> I could be quite wrong on what I'm saying here. I understand that. But it got me to thinking what it is what it is that maybe I have found uh, that gives me the right to even, you know, criticize these other people. All right, what gives me the right? What What is it that I have found that gives me the right to criticize? And the truth is, I have no right at all. Uh, I'm probably, um, I, I'm definitely in a spiritual wasteland right now. Uh, I... Not just because I live in a country that uh, isn't Christian, uh, because I, I think there are probably as many Christ followers per capita in Japan as there are in America, even if they don't know who Christ is, I think they instinctively are good, generous, kind uh, people, which I think is the main gospel message all things considered. But it got me thinking, what, what is what does it mean to be to, to follow Christ and yet to be free of religion? What does that even mean? And, and how is that even possible? What might that look like? And it got me to thinking that in the, in the Bible a lot of a lot of the metaphors that Christ uses are everyday things that you come in contact with and indeed need every day, right? And if not every day, uh, if you don't have it every day, you feel it, right? You can possibly go days without it, but... Um, so Jesus, Jesus says things about who he is... Right? And, and what people need from him. What do people need from, from Christ? What does Christ have to offer the world? 
what is it that makes Christ so important for the world that he came in the way he did at the time he did? And he didn't, he doesn't say that he came for anything religious. Like, you don't get, you know, I have come that you might, that you might worship better. He doesn't say that. Or, or, you know, he didn't say, I have come that you might know uh, how better to do your liturgy. Or I have come that you might know how to better do your sacraments. Or I have come so you can have, understand the plan of salvation, that you can follow the details of salvation. He doesn't really talk in those terms if if you take the text in context. Now, people have taken Jesus' words out of context and they've set those words in the light of uh, preconceived notions and ideas and they find ritual in the words of Jesus because that's what they're looking for. Right? Uh, but, but basically, I think Jesus is trying to say that um, unlike a religion, unlike a religion where you, I you, found this on the web. you do religious things um, on certain days and at certain feasts and at certain times, uh, no, Christ wants us to follow him in an everyday manner, in a in a in a manner that is indistinguishable from everyday life. That's why he talks about himself in the terms of bread, food and drink, and water, and even clothing, right? To be clothed with Christ, as Paul talks about. Right? in the terms of a mother and, and familial terms, right? Relational terms. Not, not in terms of ritual, but in terms of life, right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now the, I'm not sure if the definite article is necessary there. I don't know what it would be in the original language, in Greek. But, you know, life, if, if Christ, indeed, as Paul says, if Christ was our creator, all things were made by him, through him, for him, unto him. You know, all those things said in Colossians and Ephesians. Um, and as John says, you know, uh, nothing was made that has been made that was not made by him, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with, with, the Word was with God, right? So if everything was made by Christ, it makes sense that everything is Christ in a sense. That that Christ is is the air we breathe, and the you know water we drink and the food we eat and and even our dwelling place our home our, our shelter our clothes our shelter our 
dwelling place, our you know, life, the resurrection. I'm the bread, the bread of life. Uh, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, right? All of these these things are very everyday things. Now, Christianity, the religion, uh, became a religion by ritualizing all this stuff. But isn't it possible? Isn't it possible? that religion is just not enough. That to be religious means that sometimes you're not religious, right? That, that if you're not in a religious setting, then you're, you're free to be just yourself. Whereas Christ meant for his salvation to be all-encompassing. For us to just live and to see him everywhere and in everything. You know, religion tends to compartmentalize our holiness, if that's the right word, right? We, we tend to, to be religious when we're wearing the right clothes and we're in the right building and we're on the right day and at the right time. <clears throat> and because that is such a strong image or pull to us um, those things right being in the right place at the right time with the right clothes uh, in the right frame of mind you know we have to work so hard to get in that religious mood that unless we're in that context right in the midst of all of those trappings then we don't feel close to God <laughs> but to me what Jesus did when he came as a as a normal everyday worker as a you know basically a construction worker of the time right he worked with stone and maybe sometimes wood and, and these kinds of things he didn't come with a crown of gold you know he didn't come with uh, earthly authority he didn't come with any of this stuff He's just a man who walked by some other normal men and say, "Hey, follow me. Let's let's you know let's do something different." Um, yeah. So I I wonder if that's not what I have found so detestable about religion. And again, I still love a lot of people who are still following particular religions. Love them to death. And I, and I hope they are able to, in, in you know, sharing this great theology that they have, are able to um, free more and more people from religious oppression. And I think there's a lot of it. And not all of it's physical, a lot of it's just mental, you know, about the, the type of guilt that, that can be placed upon you. I remember all that stuff, you know, that there were so many controversies uh, and, and scandals that happened when I was a kid in the church, and I remember all of them. You know, people getting divorced was a huge scandal, right? Of course, any kind of affair 
It's a huge scandal, any kind of affair. Of course it was. Uh, but even little things were really scandalous, like so-and-so believes this. You know, they've gone off the deep end. Uh, they're, you know, they're not, quote-unquote, orthodox anymore. They believe crazy stuff. Not to mention women's roles in church. And the, you know, the patriarchal system that, that has um, persisted in religion uh, when most of the world is, is really trying to get rid of it. Well, I say most of the world. I don't know about that. But a lot of the Western world, let's say. You know, we've recognized that women can be great leaders. Uh, and that men, just because they're men, uh, it doesn't mean they're going to be a good leader. Right? That there's no really no difference in the sexes, except that tradition has made it so. Sure, there's differences in temperament, and there's differences in physical ability, perhaps. Um, but it's not consistent. Certainly not. And it doesn't mean that women can't lead. Indeed, if women had led through the history of the world more, perhaps we would have gotten into a lot less trouble, had a lot less war. Testosterone has uh, not served mankind uh, well, necessarily. Certainly not all the time. Uh, so, yeah, that's just one of the many things. But my, the point I've been trying to make is that Christ came to, what's the word, make, make every day, make 24-7 what had previously been occasional. the thing is, you know, the gospel, the good news of the gospel uh, isn't that Christ came and gave us a new religion. It's that Christ came to tell us you don't need religion. You don't need religion to be okay with Christ. Religion is not what makes you okay with Christ. Christ makes you okay with him. Because he is love. Religion just continues to be a dividing tool, a tool that that continues to separate people. Uh, and the way of Christ is not that. That's not the gospel. Uh, sorry about my sniffling. Apparently, need to blow my nose, but there are no tissue in the car. I know that's a gross thing, but anyway, such is life, life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, life, right, every day, every day, day by day, minute by minute, minute by minute by minute, uh, yeah, anyway, that occurred to me this week, that 
maybe maybe that's what we're missing. Maybe we've been continuing to try to live out our Christ following in a religious way, aka at a certain time in a certain building uh, with a certain set of beliefs uh, at a certain time at a certain day with certain clothing on. Right? Maybe. Maybe that's part of the problem. I think maybe more true believers need to stop going to church and start being the church all the time. That every time you take in a breath, every time you drink water, every time you eat food, you know, Christ is meant to be a part of our life all the time. A constant cleansing and inspiring and um, building up nourishing sustaining now it doesn't mean that you're not going to get with friends time to time to talk about these things I, I get that too you know you're going to want to gather and, and gathering is I think something that disciples of Jesus do naturally it's not something that we have to oblige ourselves to do at a certain time in a certain place though people have done that through the history of Christianity but we've so ritualized everything that we've missed that Christ came to be our, our everything everywhere all the time And he is. He's available that way to us. <laughs> I really feel like we missed that. <clears throat> Sorry, I just hit the mic, didn't I? Sorry, I'm trying to see if I can get some nose spray on me. When I get to a few minutes, I'll be a few minutes early today. Nice. Yeah, so, anywho. Um that's what I think that's what I think about that uh, I don't know can you think of any other metaphors that Christ used for himself or used for for why he came uh, that might might work for that that I've missed uh, not just Christ maybe uh, some of the people that wrote about Christ but I think that you know the brother uh, brother, sister, mother, father language uh, used in the church is also meant to be, you know, you're li we're living together. We're dwelling together. That's the other thing about the temple, right? The idea of the temple is that Christ wants to dwell with us. And to dwell with somebody means to be with them a significant amount of time all the time. How do you, how do you dwell with Christ if you only go once a week or twice a week or three times a week? How do you dwell with somebody and he's not in your house? Right? He, he in the Old Testament, it talks about God pitching his tent amongst his people, with his people. Right? Um, and it was a tent, not a palace. 
Now later, David, and and after him Solomon, built a, a permanent house for the Lord. Well, permanent compared to his tent. And it didn't turn out to be permanent because it got destroyed several times. Um, but it was religion was religion that made him stationary and located in a specific place. Before that, the tent was moved to wherever the people of God went. That God followed the people. Now, of course, he was he was wanting to guide them to go where he wanted them to go, but as we know, that didn't necessarily work out well. They didn't follow God, even though he was dwelling amongst them. And then they end up creating a religion uh, with a stationary, uh, stationary God, right? Anyway, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I th I think that you know God's going to have His tent, and His tent's going to be with our tents. Is a very strong image of a God who wants to dwell with His people. And I think it was the beginning of changing the paradigm, uh, the theological paradigm that they had at the time of a, of a distant God, a God who was distant and who was absent most of the time, except when he was angry. Right? That's the kind of paradigm that I think a lot of people in the ancient Near East had of God. And a God who dwells... Uh, who, who wants to dwell with his people was a completely different paradigm. I <coughs> have to sneeze. Sorry. Oh. oh, my allergies are going crazy. It's not good. Not good at all. Sorry. I didn't find something to blow my nose into. following Christ to make it a more organic, everyday, all-the-time experience. For me, one of those steps has been to take away the ritualistic following of Christ. And I know everybody's not going to be able to make that decision. You know, that's it's a difficult thing to do. It was difficult for us to do. Very difficult. You can almost not imagine how difficult it is to be in the leadership of a church and be preaching and, and you know, part of the worship team and, and uh, be teaching and baptizing and doing all the things that that good quote unquote Christians should be doing in a church and then just walking out but that's what we had to do and we haven't returned not permanently we visited we haven't even done that in a while, not since COVID happened, I don't think. It's 
been a crazy time. It's been a crazy life since then. And it's unsettling, right? I, I have likened it before to, you know, being in a swimming pool. And one end of the swimming pool is deep, and the other end is shallow, right? Um, now, you can swim in the shallow end, right? You can swim, but you've always got this safety net under you. If you, if you start to sink, if you start to to falter it, you can put your feet down and, you know, you're safe, right? But in the deep end, you need, if you want to be safe, you have to be on the edge. You have to be on the side. And I think for many years as a Christian, I was just in the shallow end. And I would, you know, I would swim from time to time, but I never really had to worry about anything. But then as I got into church leadership and started teaching and preaching and and uh, doing all these things, I, I was in the deep end of the pool, but I was holding on to the side. I was really worried about swimming, and I think when we finally, when we finally left institutional church, uh, it was like being in the deep end of the pool, in the middle. Right now, you're treading water. You're swimming. Uh, you're free. There's a lot of danger around you, but you're actually doing what the pool is trying to get you all the time: is to learn to swim, to learn to be sufficient, uh, to to trust, uh, to trust that the water is not going to, that the water is not your enemy, that the water is actually holding you up, uh, and you just need to work with the water, and you'll be fine. You know, swimming pools are made for swimming. Not for holding on to the edge, not for walking on the bottom. It's made for swimming, and that's where I feel like we're in now. We're in the deep end, and yeah, there's there's some danger. Um, we need to keep treading water, and we need to keep moving. And, um, but we're actually swimming now. We're doing what what we were meant to do. What the pool was built for. We're actually swimming. It doesn't it doesn't translate to anything like um, you know being a good Christian or you know being in compliance of certain theological uh, doctrines or something like that. It's nothing like that. But it's it's the fact that I I no longer trust my you know, the rituals that I used to do to, to feel justified, to feel forgiven, to feel right. I don't, I don't, that's not how it is anymore. That's not how I measure whether or not I am a, a good Christian. Uh, my measure now would be, you know, how kind have I been today? to the people around me? Am I, am I generous? Am I forgiving? Am I, am I generally trying to be and to live like Christ everywhere, every day? I no longer have this, you know, safety net, if you will, that says, well, if I just go to church, you know, and pay my, pay my tithe and do, you know, do the churchy things that I'm fine with God, right? 
I now know that I'm always fine with God and God's always fine with me and that and that God loves everyone no matter what that that he is for everyone he's going to save everyone and that he has a plan and will stop at nothing until he recovers each and every one of us in this life or the next uh, and therefore I don't need to be justified by anything I do uh, I can just enjoy Christ every day where I'm at uh, and that's how I try to live now I haven't figured it out yet I don't resemble Christ all the time that's for sure uh, but I no longer have this false uh, false security in religion that's not there at all alright well I'm going to end right here and try to get my allergies under control before going to my class so thanks a lot guys bye